Matthew 23 this morning, Matthew 23, boy, it, it's, it's an important chapter. And just let's put it in kind of the context of, of the life of Christ uh, quickly. Uh, we, here in Matthew 23, and, and, and really for a time now, we, we've been right at the end uh, of Christ's ministry. It's the final week uh, of his life. And uh, Gary, there's some things that he needs to accomplish before he submits to the cross. By the way, no one took his life. He gave it, right? He gave it. No one took it. He gave it for us and, and for our sin, for our salvation. Uh, Jesus knows that just several days out from the events of this chapter, uh, he's going to be arrested. He's going to go to the cross. He's going uh, to shed his blood to cover our sins. He's going to die. But he also knows that he'll be resurrected. Amen. And, and we know that sure enough, he was proving who he is and proving that God the Father was satisfied with his sacrifice upon the cross and uh, proving that anyone that would repent turning to him, placing their faith in him and what he did upon the cross can be forgiven. Amen. Uh, have you done that, church? Have you, have you turned to Christ for salvation? Have you placed your faith in him, uh, in him alone for forgiveness of sin? We've done that, right? Amen. And if you've done that, you know you've been forgiven and you know this morning you have eternal life. Uh, and, and you can know that all the things that we saw in the Sunday school hour this morning in Isaiah 11 uh, regarding the, the millennial reign of Christ, that, that's, those are things that we'll experience. Uh, all the hope, all the hope that is offered to God's people uh, is available to you if, if, if you've come to Christ. And, uh, and so this morning, we, we certainly want to keep the gospel uh, at the center of all that we say and do and, and, and continue to stress the importance of being sure, hey, do I know Christ as my Savior? Have I placed my faith in him? Have I trusted him and him alone rather than my own goodness, rather than my own religious works, rather than anything else? Am I trusting him for my salvation. What a joy. Church, is it a joy to know Christ as your Savior? It's a joy. Is it always easy? It's not always easy. We're in a spiritual battle, and that's real, but we're on the winning side of that battle, and we have Christ who's promised to, to never leave us nor forsake us all the way home uh, to him. Has he left you or forsaken you? He has not. He's with you. He's in you. He's indwelling us together with the Father and, of course, the Holy Spirit. Well, this morning we, we meet Christ here again in the last week uh, before the cross. And uh, he's, he's dealing uh, with the scribes and the Pharisees. And essentially uh, what he wants them to understand is because of their rejection of him uh, and, and their continued rejection of him all, all the way up to the cross now, uh, he's essentially rejecting them uh, for a time. John 1.11 says he came unto his own, right? He came as a Jewish man to the Jewish people. He came unto his own and, or but his own received him not. They, they rejected him, right? Uh, despite his repeated offer of his kingdom and uh, salvation to, to his people. They, they repeatedly, the bulk of them, the majority of them, the leadership and really the nation at large, uh, they rejected him. And so 
in this chapter, Christ pronounces woe uh, six or seven, eight times upon the scribes and the Pharisees. He pronounces woe on them. And it's not woe, how awesome you are. It's, it, it's, it's woe. He's pronouncing judgment on them uh, for their sin, their legalism, their hypocrisy, uh, their, ultimately their failure to accept him as the answer to their legalism and their hypocrisy and their, their sin of hypocrisy. Uh, ultimately, he's rejecting them. He's laying aside them, the leadership of Israel, uh, and, and really the nation, the, 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 the temple for sure, uh, and, and the nation at large will be set aside by the Lord for a time. Uh, for time. Now, is the Lord completely done with Israel and his people forever? No, he's not. Uh, he's not done. Uh, just look with me here at the passage. You're in Matthew 23. Uh, we'll see some things and we'll focus on some things early in the chapter this morning. But uh, look with me over here uh, at verse 14. Ver verse 14, just kind of give you the, the lay of the land here quickly. Matthew 23, beginning in verse 14. He begins to pronounce woe, warnings and judgments uh, upon the scribes and the Pharisees. For, for, he calls them uh, hypocrites and he begins to indict them for specific sins. That, sins for, that they, they could know forgiveness of in Christ, but they, they've rejected Christ. And so he just continues uh, to indict them. Uh, if you come back down to, to verse uh, 34, the Lord begins to prophesy consequences for their sin uh, and for their rejection of Christ. He, uh, he makes it very clear uh, that, that, that Jerusalem will suffer greatly. Verse 47, he laments over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem, uh, thou that killest the prophets and stoneth them which are sent among thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathered her, her chicken under her, her chickens, there we go, under her wings, poetry, uh, and ye would not. They would not be gathered under his protective wing. They, they've rejected him. Uh, he says, verse 38, behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Uh, there will be great consequence for their rejection of him, the, the Jewish people and the nation of Israel will be temporarily set aside in God's plan, in God's program. This was a, a, a terribly sorrowful thing uh, for the Lord. The, the language in verse 37, uh, it's with sorrow that he pronounces uh, this judgment. But look at verse 39, please. There's, there's a strain of hope, a thread of hope through all of this, as there is for all people today. He says in verse 39, For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, you won't, uh, till or until ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh uh, in the name of the Lord. Jesus wants them to be reminded once again, just as Isaiah prophesied the first coming of Christ, and the second coming of Christ, as we saw this morning in 10 o'clock hour, he wants them to understand that he, he is going to die. He, he's, he's made that clear. Uh, he will be resurrected. He's made that clear. But he will come again. Uh, he will come again. There will be that tribulation period where God will deal with the Jewish people finally, and many will come to him. And then in his second coming, at the end of that time, uh, they'll say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed is our Savior, our Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who come at that time. And so we know that ultimately there'll be a remnant who will get right in tribulation, 
uh, and who will rejoice with us at the coming of Christ, his second coming, uh, they'll rejoice uh, and, and, and go with joy and rejoicing into his thousand-year millennial reign. So there's ultimately hope. Uh, the chapter ends with this wonderful allusion to hope for these sinful people, uh, but they're going to have to experience some chastening, uh, the chastening of having been uh, temporarily rejected and set aside, and the chastening of the coming tribulation uh, before they understand that they've, they've missed their Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Having experienced those things, many a remnant of these people uh, will come to Christ. Now, aren't you glad this morning? Aren't you glad this morning that we know who the Savior is? Aren't you glad this morning? The Jewish people in the first century, the vast majority of them missed it. They could not see it. Uh, they had been blinded uh, supernaturally as a consequence of, of their sin and their, their hard hearts. We understand that. But we've not been blinded at all. We've not been blind. We've been given light by the Spirit of God to see who the Son of God is, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, and to know that he is the way. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and that there's no other way to the Father God except by and through him. Aren't you glad this morning that you know that? Aren't you glad? Do we have some things to rejoice about this morning? Amen. We most certainly do. We most certainly do. Turn with me here, please, to the beginning of the chapter. Uh, I want us to see some things here that the Lord begins to deal with the scribes and Pharisees about. And, you know, let's, let's be clear. He's addressing the multitude who are there listening uh, about the error, the sinful error of the scribes and Pharisees. Uh, why would he do that? Well, he wants them to be protected from the error of the scribes and Pharisees, these, uh, this particular sect of Jews and Jewish leaders uh, in the first century. These are not the Sadducees. These are the scribes and the Pharisees, the, the sort of very conservative, legalistic, uh, dot the I's and cross the T's uh, group of, of, or sect of Judaism in this day. He wants the people to be warned. He wants to warn them against the error of the scribes and the Pharisees so that they would not fall into the same error. Now, Brother Gary, uh, to me, it just seems logical that the Lord has preserved this in his word all of these years, these 2,000 plus years, uh, as warning to us as well, right? He's preserved his words unto this day, today, uh, so that it, it could serve as a warning for us also against falling into the same error. And so I would submit to you this morning that these, these view, verses, 12 or so verses that I want to focus on primarily this morning, uh, they're warning for us also. Uh, and it, it's a warning given by the Lord Jesus Christ to his people uh, so that we not fall into the error of these who, their error was so great, they were about to be rejected by Christ and laid aside uh, four times. So it's serious, uh, the, the nature and seriousness of their error uh, here is great. I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump in here. Let's bow our heads, please. Father God, we thank you, Lord, this morning for your words. Uh, thank you for Matthew's gospel. Uh, Lord, thank you for preserving it for us that we might benefit from it uh, for your honor and for your glory. Lord, I pray this morning in just these next few minutes 
that you would help us to see uh, the things that Christ warned uh, the multitude uh, who gathered uh, about. Lord, help us to take seriously uh, these concerns that Christ raised. Lord, that uh, we guard our hearts against the same error, uh, that we not fall into the same problems that were so very serious and, and, and grievous to you, Lord. I pray, Father, that we, we focus our attention, our hearts upon you uh, and your word, Lord. And Father, I pray this morning that we bear in mind that we can, Lord, we can guard our hearts and be protected against the error that we see here, not because of our own strength or our own wisdom, but Lord, because of Christ, because of Christ, we can take up your words and live them, benefiting from them and, and bringing praise, honor, and glory to you this morning. Lord, help me, uh, help each of us now, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I've already mentioned this morning, he's, he's addressing the, the, Jesus is addressing to the multitude, to a multitude, a group of people who's, who's preaching to uh, the error of the scribes and Pharisees. Scribes were the, kind of the copyists of the, of the law, right? They, they had the, this sort of professional responsibility for copying the law and having so much exposure to it as they performed that work. They considered themselves to be experts in the law. And uh, typically they were Pharisees, one of these two major Jewish uh, groups or sects. And the Pharisees, of course, were the, the more conservative. The Sadducees were pretty liberal, right? They were the, the religious liberals of their day. The Pharisees were the religious conservatives of their day. They were very focused on all of the elements of the law uh, and their interpretation of the law. Remember, the law had hundreds of obligations that the Jewish people were responsible to, uh, to recognize, to, uh, to obey. The Pharisees added more than 600 uh, specific interpretations to the law uh, that they um, imposed upon people. And, and uh, well, they did just that. They imposed those things upon people and held people accountable uh, to live according to not just the hundreds of obligations of the law, but the hundreds of interpretations that, uh, that they taught and really treated as, as having the same weight uh, as the words of God. And, uh, of course, they were very legalistic and all that. They, they essentially uh, believed that the way of salvation was to keep all, all of these rules. By the way, is that the way of salvation? That's not the way of salvation. Uh, the, the, the New Testament teaches that the, all, the whole purpose of the law was, was to uh, serve as our schoolmaster. What's a schoolmaster do? It teaches us that we cannot keep the law. Uh, we've all sinned to come short of the glory of God. That's the purpose of the, the Old Testament law, to show us, to reveal to us that we are sinners who need a Savior, and that Christ, of course, uh, is that Savior. But here's the Pharisees, nonetheless, nonetheless missing that point, nonetheless missing that point. Look here in verse 1. Then spake Jesus to the multitude and to his disciples, they are present there as well, uh, saying the scribes and Pharisees uh, sit in Moses' seat. What's that, Moses' seat? Well, probably just a, a, a reference to the authority that Moses had and, and the Pharisees now viewing themselves rich as sort of the, uh, 
the descendants of Moses who uh, in, in this time in the first century, they're the ones that, that they view themselves as having the responsibility of continuing to teach the law with the authority that, that Moses exercised. They, uh, that's probably just the idea. They sit in Moses' seats uh, with that authority, with that uh, view uh, of the responsibility that they have for teaching law, as, as Moses did. Probably, probably not a literal seat. And Jesus continues in verse 3 and says, All therefore, whatsoever they, the scribes and Pharisees, bid you observe. He says, whatever, whatever they teach you, hey, you ought to hear that and, and do that. Do what they teach from the word of God. He says, that observe and do, uh, verse 3. He says, but do not ye after their works, for they say, what are the next three words? And do not. He says, listen, when they're teaching you from the word of God, as long as it is that, as long as it's the word of God, you know, receive that. Uh, and, and do what the Word of God actually teaches. People at this time, they're still, uh, still living under the law. We understand that. Uh, Christ not yet gone to the cross. They're still living under the law. So he says, listen, you, you take care to hear the teaching of the Word of God uh, and, and to obey that. He doesn't, he doesn't say don't listen to them at all, but he does say, listen, uh, you, you watch them. Uh, he says, all therefore, whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do ye, but, so there's a, a contrast here, but do not ye after their works. Listen to the words of God and do them, but don't let their hypocritical example be your example of how to live out uh, the word of God. He says, for they say, they say a lot, but they do not. Uh, they are hypocrites in sort of the modern sense of, of that word. We know the word, underlying word, was used in the Old Testament in a variety of ways, but usually just as a sort of a general reference to evil. Uh, here, here, Jesus says they're, they're hypocrites in sort of the modern sense of the word. They say all sorts of things, but they do not do what they are teaching you to do. He went on to explain here in verse 4, for they bind heavy burdens... Uh, and grievous to be born, and lay them on men's shoulders. They, they come up with all this stuff, all these hundreds of applications of, of the word, and they, they burden you with the heavy weight of keeping all of that. They bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born, uh, and lay them on men's shoulders. They're imposing all sorts of obligations on people, uh, most of which, or much of which, uh, at least, is not scriptural at all. He says, but they themselves will not move them uh, with one of their fingers. They're, they're hypocrites. Listen to the words of God as they teach them and receive the words of God, do the words of God, but please, he says, take great care uh, not to follow their hypocritical example. By the way, uh, Jesus says they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born. Uh, what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say about when people come to him? He says, come unto me. He says, for my yoke is, it's light, it's easy, depending on where you're reading it. My, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. It is not the goal or purpose of Christ to burden his people 
uh, with obligations that had nothing to do with his word or his will. The Lord does not have a long list of rules that he's interested in, in burdening people with. I know sometimes uh, Brother Ray Metric churches like ours where we, we teach certain applications of scriptures. People criticize us sometimes, right? Yeah, we, we'll teach certain standards for, for Christian living. And, and that's not a bad thing, right? Because uh, I shared with someone this week the idea that we talk about this a little bit. And I said, listen, we could teach the word of God all day long. But if we don't take care to apply it in a practical way, it's kind of just academic, right? It's all up here. It never kind of works its way out through our hands and feet in our mouths. So uh, I think pastors and pre- preachers, teachers uh, of God's word, we have a duty to help people understand God's words, but also to apply it to our lives in a way that is biblical and Christ-honoring and encourages us to live out God's words uh, in a practical way. So we teach modesty and uh, standards, and, and, and that's, that's good. Uh, would, would never uh, criticize churches that do that. We have to have standards that represent reasonable applications uh, of the word of God. But understand, that that's all that is. That's, that's not the way to be saved. Uh, that, that's the way to live out the word of God in, in a way that would please him uh, as a saved person. Lord is not interested in burdening people with long lists of rules. Neither is your pastor, neither is this church, neither are fellow church members. Jesus says, come to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I don't want to weigh you down. I used to have a message that I preached, Gary, uh, about the, the wonderful joy of having the burden of sin, the weight of sin, come off of our shoulders when we come to Christ uh, and experience his forgiveness. That moment that we come to Christ, repenting of sin, that we get saved from the consequence of sin, a very real hell. Do you remember that day when the burden of sin came off your shoulders? What a joy, what a thrill. You feel like, oh, I can breathe again. I can stand up straight again. The burden of sin uh, has come off of me now that it's come under the blood of Christ and I've been forgiven. I've been unburdened from the weight of my sin. Well, that's that's part of the joy of salvation. It, it, it's not the Lord's intention or desire to burden his people again with long lists of rules that are required to keep your salvation or or to earn your way. That's just not the way it is. We have reasonable standards for Christian living and we teach them and preach them, but the Lord has no interest in burdening us with long lists of rules that, that just don't relate to his will or his way or his word uh, at all. And so you look here at the Pharisees and, and you wonder, what in, what in the world? Why is it? Uh, why is it that they've arrived at a place where they feel like it, was, it benefits someone uh, to have all of these hundreds of rules, applications, in addition to the very specific requirements of the word of God, the law uh, that they were living under? Why is it? that they had all of these rules that they burdened people with. Why is that? Uh, Why is that? Um, It seems to me this morning that, and I haven't really given you an outline this morning. I've just been talking, Gary. Let me give you a little bit of an outline here. Number one, if you you don't have number one already, uh, number one here this morning, take this down, please. Do make some notes, a few notes this morning. I believe this morning the Pharisees wanted to be heard 
they wanted to be heard as men who were more righteous than they actually were. Did you get that? Did you get that? I believe this morning the Pharisees wanted, wanted people to hear what they said uh, and, and think, boy, those guys are, are really righteous. Listen to them. Listen. They've got the law, but they've got hundreds of, 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 of rules. They've got a list as long as your arm. and you know, They've got a list that it's just, you can't, what, how righteous are they? So holy, so godly uh, must they be. But what does Jesus say? He said, that it's, they say and what? Do not. Now, you can say stuff, stuff. <laughs> you can say stuff all day long, but if you don't do that stuff, you're a what? You're a hypocrite, that, a, a play actor, somebody who's just acting out a part uh, for some purpose. I believe this morning that Pharisees, um, yes, they, they believe the way of salvation, they, and they really did seem to believe this, was keeping the law, but the, the, the purpose for adding on all of this other stuff, the heavy burdens, grievous to be born, I believe this morning that it, it ultimately was rooted in a prideful desire to be heard as men who were more righteous than they actually were. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning. You don't have to raise your hand or, or call out or anything like that. Brother, you weren't going to do that anyway, were you? No, sir. Uh, do we struggle at times? Do we have our own personal struggle with hypocrisy? Church, do we? Do we? I mean, listen, you, you can't be a pastor or preacher or anyone that's going to share the word of God with anyone else and not recognize there, there's a struggle. <laughs> we're in spiritual battle, of course, but part of the struggle that we're in is listen, we, we know what's right, we want to say what's right, but uh, doing what's right is a whole lot more difficult than saying what's right. Amen? That's, that's just truth. Uh, it's naturally easier to say something that's right, the words of God, than to do something that's right, the words of God. Now, stop and think about this for a minute. Um, when we're not doing what's right, do we always do the right thing about that? Uh, to not do what is right according to God's word is what? Three-letter S word. It's sin, right? It's sin. So to not do what is right according to God's word, that's sin. We understand that. And, and when we sin, hey, as believers, people who have come to Christ... We know it's forgiven already, uh, but we also know that um, unless we do some business with the Lord, that can affect our walk and our relationship uh, with the Lord God. And so when we sin, uh, our, our right response should be to do what? You got one? Repent, confess. Lord, I agree with you. You know, that conviction that you lay upon my heart, I agree that's confessing, to just agree with the conviction. Lord, I, I confess, I, I agree, that is sin. And, and Lord, I'm going to yield to you. I'm going to look to you now for grace. Zach's going to preach about grace tonight. Uh, and, and strength, that kind of grace to, 
put off the sin, to put on obedience, righteousness in its place. And as we do that, sure enough, we find grace, we find strength in the Lord to put off the sin and, and to put on obedience in its place. That's what we should do. But do we always do that? Do we always do that? We don't. Agreed? We don't always do that. Sometimes, and you just listen, please, listen carefully and see if this just seems right to you. Sometimes rather than confessing, repenting, forsaking sin in God's strength, not our own, we begin in our own strength to kind of play mind games with ourselves, right? You, we, there's different ways that we try to convince ourselves that it's not really a big deal. Um, we, there's different ways that we, we try to, Brother Ray, we try to kind of put off the conviction of the Spirit of God by deflecting it with, with kind of mind games that, that we play with ourselves, and one of the things that, that we will sometimes, you just tell me if this seems right, one of the ways that we will sometimes try to deflect the conviction whereby the Lord's trying to lead us out of sin into obedience is um, we'll begin to talk a good game. We'll talk a good game. And we'll up our talking game. Talk, 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 a good game. Talk very righteously. Thinking that, oh, if I'm saying all the right things, there's no problem. There's no problem. When in fact, over here, there's sin. Sometimes if we're not careful, we try to cover our sin, the reality of what we're doing with some very righteous talk up here like it's cover. If I'm, if I'm saying all the right things and, boy, people are hearing me say all the right things, this is okay. This thing, it's okay, because I'm saying the right things. Let's listen to how righteous my, my speech is. He, hear what I'm saying. But the reality is over here, there's still some doing that, that needs to be dealt with. Do you recognize that, that that's, that's a thing that we sometimes do to avoid dealing with the sinful doing? We, we try to deflect ourselves from the sin and the necessity of dealing with the sin in a godly way by doing something else, saying righteous things, rather than dealing with the sin. Here's the thing. You tell me if this sounds right. Um, we can try uh, to fool ourselves for a while. Can you fool yourself for a while? Sometimes. There's that saying, you can fool some of the people some of the time. You might be able to fool some of the people some of the time. You can talk a good game to cover the stuff down here. But we cannot fool the Lord. Amen? You can talk and, and trick yourself into thinking, listen to how righteous I am. And, and you can hope that as, as you talk the talk, people think, listen to how righteous this man is. He's a pretty righteous man. But the Lord knows the truth. He can see through the cover and get down into our hearts. Uh, and he sees the hidden things that come out of our hearts. He knows the truth. Um, did the scribes and Pharisees fool Christ, Brother Ed? 
Did they fool him? I don't think so, because he's running around warning people that, hey, they're saying they're teaching the right stuff. Do that stuff. But don't take up their example of hypocrisy. Evidently, he saw their hypocrisy. Lord Jesus Christ, you know, he's omniscient. He could see, he could hear what they were saying, but he also could see what they were doing, even when it was hidden. And he could look into their hearts and search their hearts and, and, and know what was in their hearts. Did they fool him? I don't think so. He heard what they said, but he also saw what they did. And he knew the two were not the same. I found a little poem this week. I don't read little poems often, visitors, but here's a little poem. This poem says this, you can fool the hapless public. You can be a subtle fraud. You can hide your little meanness, but you can't fool God. You can advertise your virtues. You can self-achievement laud. You can load yourself with riches, but you can't fool God. You can magnify your talent. Look at me. You can hear the world applaud. You can boast yourself somebody, but you can't fool God. Praise God. That's true. That's true. Lord, help us. <laughs> Lord, help us. When we begin to understand some of these games that we play to put off conviction rather than dealing with conviction, Lord, help us to just confess that. God, right now, give me a heart to confess that. Uh, Lord, sometimes I, I want to come off as more righteous than I am so that people think I'm something that I'm not. Uh, and, and Lord, I... I <laughs> <laughs> so that I will be convinced that I'm something that I'm not. By the way, where do we tend to do this most if, if today? Um, in the first century, I don't think they had Facebook, did they, Gary? I forget exactly when it came out, but I, it was after the first century, right? Didn't have Facebook, didn't have Twitter. There was, I don't think there was social media in the first century. Church, do I have that right? Okay. Um, do we, do we sometimes today, is there a temptation sometimes to kind of put on this very righteous persona and kind of advertise ourselves as all of this? Uh, and, and sometimes to do more of that because God is dealing with something here that I really don't want to deal with. So let me just go out and put on a righteous face. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to put off hypocrisy. God help us. Help us to be aware that this is a sort of a mind game that we will play sometimes. Help us stop trying to impress others. Help us to be people who speak your words and do your words. And Lord help us when there's conviction to respond with simple, humble agreement and yieldedness to you uh, and then with strength from you, a blessing for our yieldedness to put off the sin and to put on true righteousness in its place. Can we do that? If yes, because of whom, church? The Lord Jesus Christ. We can. Should we? Absolutely. For, for him. Uh, for him. Uh, look, look here um, in verse 5. But all their works, Jesus says... 
Uh, all their works they do for to be seen of men. Oh, so they want to be heard of men, number one. But number two, they want to be seen also. They want to be seen, heard as very righteous, but boy, they want to be seen as very righteous too. Part of the same thing. Uh, you know, they, 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 they've got this game down. Uh, verse 5, for all their works they do for to be seen of men. Jesus gives some specific uh, examples. Uh, take this as number two this morning. They wanted to be seen as more righteous than they were. They wanted to be heard as more righteous than they were. They also wanted to be seen as more righteous than they were. It, it, no doubt for the same reasons. No, no doubt for the same reasons. Uh, for all their works they do for to be seen of men. Their, their righteous speech was to be heard of men. Their righteous works was, were to be seen of men. And Jesus gives some examples of these first century Jews. They, they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. Remember the phylactery was a, a little box that they wore on their foreheads and it, it um, it contained a certain of the words of God, and this is something that relates to uh, the Old Testament law. Uh, and so, so doing this was not the worst thing in the world. They were observing the law, uh, but they would, they would have very big ones, not just a tiny little thing, but, but very big ones. And the borders of their garments were um, um, broad, uh, enlarged. Again, this relates to some of the obligations of the law, but they, they, they practiced these two biblical Old Testament practices, uh, not, evidently not for the Lord, because he could see little things, uh, but so that people would see how, how they were practicing these things. They wanted to be seen uh, of men to be far more righteous than uh, they actually were. Uh, turn back to Matthew 6 just for a moment. It's been a while since we were back there. Um, we, if you're visiting this morning, we've been making our way through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Matthew 6, just, just turn back. Don't lose your place, but go back there real fast, please. Um, Matthew 6, Jesus is offering a similar warning uh, about uh, a heart filled with a desire to be seen or heard by men versus a desire to be seen and heard by the Lord. Matthew 6 and verse 1, are you there? Are you there? Matthew 6 verse 1, Jesus says, Take heed that ye, all of ye, do your, not do your alms, your, your giving, before men to be seen of them. Be careful that when you give or when you serve, that it's, your, your motivation is not to be seen of others. Very obedient, very righteous. Look at me, I'm putting my offering in the offering plate. You ever struggle with that a little bit? Um, someone suggested recently that, you know, that, that's a real... Matthew 6, 1 is in the Bible. Maybe we do better to put the plate in the back like we did for a while, just let people do it that way. That, that might be a good idea. Uh, that would kind of help with this. But Brother Ray, you can still go uh, in, into the foyer, right, and say, look at me, I'm putting my offering in the offering plate now, right? We want to be seen sometimes. Or as you're writing out your check, you, you think, oh boy, I... Write out this big check. I, I know somebody's going to see it. Someone's going to count this check, and boy, they're going to think I'm something special. Are you something special? Well, by the way, thank you, faithful givers, for giving faithfully throughout this past year. Thank you. 
Um, you know, we're called to be people who tithe and, and then give offerings above as the Lord leads to support missions and other things as, as God leads. And all of our needs have been met. All of our needs. Is God good? Yeah, he is. We're just a little church, but, you know, we have a substantial budget. And um, God has worked through a few to meet all of our needs. And we praise God for that. Um, as we go into the new year, Lord, help us to continue to be faithful in our giving. By the way, if you've not been, I'm not, I'm not chasing you this morning, criticizing you, but you get faithful. <laughs> Amen. Uh, give, give a tithe. God's called us to do that. He's taught us to do that. Uh, give offerings as, as, as God leads. I mean, that's required for our obedience to the Lord. I'm not trying to burden you with that or weigh you down with that, but that's biblical, right? That, that's, that's a biblical practice, and uh, God will bless you. God will bless you for that. He, he will. The church, does God bless you for your faithful giving? He does. He does. And so uh, if you've been giving faithfully, pray that the Lord will give you the faith to continue doing that. And if you've struggled in that area, I understand. I understand that struggle. Um, confess that and, and pray and ask God for the faith to begin being faithful in that area. He will answer that prayer. He will give you faith, and he will bless you. He will bless you accordingly. Um, church, are, are, are we a church that's all about money and getting money and spending? Is that, is that what we're about here? It's not, right? It's not. It's not. But we won't keep the lights on. Amen. But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments, wanting to be heard uh, as very righteous, far more righteous than they were, and wanting to be seen uh, as far more righteous uh, than they were. If you're still there in Matthew 6, sorry, I, I meant to read another verse there. There's, a, there's another example uh, of this same idea. Matthew 6, 5, the Lord warned, when thou prayest, when you pray, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may, why? So that they may be seen of men. Jesus says, verily I say unto you, they have their reward. What's the reward that those hypocrites wanted? They wanted to be seen. They wanted to be heard. Uh, back in 6.1, uh, where, where Lord is talking about giving your alms in, in, in secret, not to be seen. He says, otherwise you have no reward of, you have no reward of, of your father. Listen, if, if, if you give, if you serve, if you pray, primarily to be seen as very righteous. That's your reward. That's what Jesus says. That's, that's the reward that you'll get. But, it, but if you give and, and, and you pray uh, and, and you stay right with God for God, for his pleasure, uh, rather than playing some mind game or desiring to be seen or heard more righteous than you, you actually are, uh, if, you, if you do that with a right heart and with the right motive, Zach, does the Lord bless us for that? He does. You do it with the wrong motive, he does not. You have the reward that you desired. Uh, let's go just slightly further here. So um, they, they desired to be heard uh, of men, number one. They desired to be seen of men as more righteous than they were, no doubt in, in part trying to deflect trying to deflect the guilt of their own hypocrisy. 
Uh, number three this morning, and we'll stop here. Uh, we see the scribes and Pharisees, they pridefully loved the praise of men. They pridefully loved the praise of men, perhaps more than they genuinely loved the Lord and, and pleasing him. See verse 6, and, and they, it's they, them, and they loved the uppermost rooms of the feast and the chief seats in the synagogue. They loved the uh, benefits of their position. Uh, the places of honor that are afforded to them because of their position uh, as scribes and Pharisees, the Jewish leaders. Uh, and the greetings in the markets, verse 7, to be called of men, rabbi, rabbi, teacher, teacher. They love these uh, to be addressed as men with a religious authority. Jesus answers that in verse 8. He says, but be not ye called rabbi. Don't even let anyone call you that. For one is your master, even Christ, uh, and all ye are brethren. Verse 9, and call no man father uh, upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. That's very interesting. We know some have the practice of calling their religious leaders father. He says don't do that. Uh, for one is your father which is in heaven. Verse 10, neither be, call, be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. Christ uh, is, is master. Jesus says, listen, uh, uh, take great care that you not desire the praise of men uh, more than you desire to please the Lord. This is, this is the idea. Uh, take great care that you not desire uh, the benefits of the place of service that you have more than the benefit of pleasing the Lord as you faithfully serve in that place for his pleasure, for his honor, uh, for his glory. Lord, check our motives as we go into this new year. Uh, Father, check my heart. Lord, give me a heart to serve you uh, or to continue serving you into and through this new year. But Lord, please check my heart. Uh, when I write my check for the offering, when I pray in public, when I serve in public, Lord, please check my heart, check my motive. Uh, Lord, help me to be sure that it's for you rather than for me. Jesus said in John 12 and verse 43, the Bible says, these Pharisees, that loved to be seen and heard uh, and loved to um, enjoy the praise of men. Uh, Jesus says, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Now, I think we do well this morning to stop there and ask ourselves, when I give, when I pray, when I serve, when I speak of the Lord, when I praise him, what is my goal? What is my purpose? Do I, do I want that to occur to my pride? Look at me, look at me, look at me. Am I trying to deflect conviction where we began this morning? Do I want to be seen and heard of men more than seen and heard of my Lord and Savior? Lord, show me, search my heart, check my motive. If I have any of that wrong to any extent, to any degree, Lord, give me a heart to confess that this morning. Help me to put on right motive this morning and go forward with that desire to serve you and please you more than myself, more than my pride, certainly with, with more of a heart than to 
deflect the guilt of conviction or check my motives? Am I playing mind games? Am I desiring to serve my pride more than to serve you? Lord, check my heart, check my motives. Jesus answered the Pharisees and their problem here in verses 11 and 12, and we're done. He says, but he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. <laughs> and whosoever shall exalt himself, whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. Whoever tries to set himself on a pedestal will be knocked off the pedestal. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Not by men, but by the Lord. Let's stop there and pray. Let's bow our heads, please. Father, this morning, I thank you, Lord, for your words. Lord, I understand that you preached this passage to your people in the first century. But Lord, it's, it's amazing to me this morning how relevant your words remain these 2,000 years later. We struggle with many of the same spiritual battles. We struggle with... Uh, the same sin nature that people struggled with in the first century. Lord, we struggle with the desire to deflect conviction rather than dealing with it. We play mind games. And Lord, we desire with a struggle to serve ourselves, to serve our own pride rather than to humbly serve each other and to serve you for your pleasure rather than our own pride. Father, I pray this morning as I've said that you would search our hearts, expose our motives privately where we sit right now. Lord, if you convict us of a motive that is wrong in any way, give us hearts to confess that, to put that off. Lord, for you, to put on a right motive this morning. Lord, for you. Father, if there's sin that needs to be confessed and dealt with this morning, I pray, of course, that you, you give us hearts to, to do just that, to agree with you, to yield to you and find strength and grace from you to put that off. Lord, help us to remember this morning that we can't hide from you and we cannot fool you. It just makes good sense this morning to I ask you to search our hearts and to respond as you lead. Lord, help us to do that even now. I'll give you a moment to pray.